Turn in your Bible, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and tonight we begin with verse 7. Last Wednesday night, we talked about Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Tonight, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 7, and going through verse uh, maybe 13, further if we can get there. Now let's pray a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful joy of being in prayer meeting and the hour of power and so many of God's people meeting together in this powerful time to, to come before thee in singing, in prayer requests, and then just study a brief portion of the word of God. Help us to hide it in our hearts and may we comprehend what you're saying to us and may it be applicable in every area of our life. We pray in the name of Jesus, that you'd touch those who are sick with healing, those who are in lonely, difficult places with the companionship of the Holy Spirit, those who are missionaries and the men and women in the armed forces with safety and the Spirit of God, and those who are lost with the convicting finger of God's Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay a lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now that's, that's a, a big portion of scripture. And it says a whole lot. I started to say it's a mouthful. It says a whole lot in just a few verses. And we will not be able to go into an exhaustive study of this, but we want to look at it for a little while as we just take a bird's eye trip through the book of Ephesians. Now remember last Sunday night we closed, last Wednesday night we closed 
with the focus, there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now he begins to talk about the gifts that the Lord has given to the church. The book of Ephesians has a strong focus on the church. Now the word church is a translation in English from the Greek ekklesia. And in the old Latin Vulgate, it was kirk. And that term church is used in two senses in the scripture. Number one, and almost universally it is used this way, it refers to the local called out assembly of believers, the body of Christ, the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea, the church at Sardis, the church at Glendale, the church at Eastwood, the church, the local body of Christ. That word church is used 113 times in the scripture. At least 98 of those times, it is used to refer to a local body of baptized believers. A church is a body of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. Now there is another sense in which the term church is used. We cannot deny that. It is not a focus, a major focus in the scripture, but it is an important focus. And in the book of Ephesians, that focus is there. I think sometimes dual in both senses, but in Ephesians especially, the focus is on the corporate body of Christ, but it is always as seen through the eyes of Jesus. The body of Christ is the church. We sing that song, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. It's talking about the whole body of Christ. When Jesus comes the second time, the church will be without spot or wrinkle caught up together with him. Spoken of in Ephesians chapter five, this is the total body of Christ. Some have tried to argue what is called a doctrine, a doctrine called Baptist bride. That is, that only Baptists will be received in that rapture. And they are the church that we received. I believe they're skating on thin ice when they talk about that. We're talking about all the believers, everybody who is redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're part of Christ's body. And Jesus himself is the groom. We're the bride, he is the groom. And one day there will be the great marriage supper of the lamb when the bride adorned after preparation during this earthly pilgrimage, we will be adorned and without spot or wrinkle and will be presented to him never to be separated again. That's one of the prophetic teachings of the marriage ceremony where a man and woman who have come to love each other and are now committing themselves to one another, they come to the marriage altar to say we're not going to live separately any longer, we're gonna to be together. And that's what happens at the marriage supper of the Lamb when the bride, the Lord's church, is united with Christ forever to be with him. Now, 
That usage of the term church is always as seen through the eyes of Jesus. You and I cannot tell who is in the real body of Christ. We can tell who is in the visible body of Christ, the apparent body of Christ. We look around and say, well, yes, these folks are precious and dear. That's the reason we say brother and sister, because everyone's so dear to us. And this is part of the body of Christ, the church that meets at Glendale. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, and so on. And we, we love each other. That's the body of Christ here. We can see this. But from time to time, one of that body walks down the aisle and says, I've been a member of the church a long time, but I've never been saved. How many in this room have had to say that sometime? Lift your hand. See a number of people. So it's possible to be a member of the visible body and not be part of Christ's real church. You see that. And so when the scripture speaks of the body of Christ and uses that term to refer to the entire body of Christ, it is only seen through the eyes of Jesus. He knows who it is. We do not know. Again, let me stress that that is not the major usage of the term church in the New Testament. Basically, it is the local body of believers. Now, having looked at that and thought of that for a moment, let's look at this passage as it deals with the gifts given to the church, which is the body of Christ, whether it's the corporate body or a local body. These are the gifts given to the church. But in every one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, when he speaks of us, he's talking about individual believers. He says, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Whereby he saith, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now that passage is a rather difficult passage. Sometimes people have called it an obscure passage. There are two interpretations of that passage. Number one is that it speaks basically of the death and burial of res and resurrection of Christ and his ascension to heaven. And that is the simplest interpretation of that passage, just a simple interpretation. And it means that. Now there are sometimes there's scriptures that have a double meaning or a dual meaning. They mean this and they refer to something else also. There are many who believe that this scripture teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into that realm of paradise where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the others were, and he vindicated the faithful. He gave gifts unto men, and when he came out of that realm and was raised from the dead and ascended to place the blood on the tabernacle holy of holies, that some of those saints that had been dead for a while got up and walked around Jerusalem, according to the book of Matthew. And there, that interpretation suggests that this passage is referring to that incident. We'll ask the Lord when we get to him. 
The important thing is for us to know that this is speaking about Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross, he was buried, three days later he was raised from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And he is the prince of the, of the, of the princes of earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are three places in the New Testament where the gifts are listed or enumerated similar to the way they are here. If you'll hold your finger there and turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. Let's look at it for just a moment. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse six. <clears throat> Having then gifts differing, Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, <clears throat> or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without pretense or dissimulation. Now in this section, he, lifts, he lists some of the gifts that are given to the church, to individual believers in the church. He says, uh, we have different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. Prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Ministry, let's wait on our ministry. He that teaches on teaching. Exhortation, he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now those are various gifts. Do you know that some people are given the gift of making money and then sharing it with others? Not everybody has that gift. That's the reason we ought not to be jealous one of another. Or, or look at somebody and say, well, he has more than, than I do and so on. And in the church, we ought never to look down on somebody that has only a penny to give as over against somebody else that has $10 to give. Each of us has to answer before God for what we give. And those who have the gift of making money will be held responsible before the Lord for what they give, just like those who do not have that same gift and all through their lives just eke out a mere beggarly living and then share with God from the overflow. We need to remember that the gifts given, God takes care of and God motivates it. I do not believe a person can outgive God. I believe that God will be no man's debtor. And if God has given us the gift of making more money than somebody else, then we have a graver responsibility of sharing what that gift is with his work and with his cause. 
I have known through the years some people who made thousands and thousands of dollars. They did it sometimes through a lot of hard work, most of the time. But because they knew how to make some investments, they knew how to save their money, and they knew how to invest in certain stocks and bonds and other things, and they, their money uh, pile began to grow and grow and grow. And you know, some of those are generous with the work of the Lord. I just think of some buildings in Dallas that are named after some of the most wealthy people that have ever passed through the Texas oil wells. Many of them were part of the First Baptist Church. There are buildings at First Baptist Church in Dallas that are named in honor of some people who made millions of dollars and they shared that with the work of the Lord. Thank God. And then I've known many, 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 many people through the years who don't seem to have that gift at all. But they do have the gift of hard work. I don't know whether that's a gift or not. Subtraction of that may be just pure laziness or honoriness. But at least they have the diligence to work hard and they're able to share with the work of the Lord that which God enables them to give. Nobody in God's sight should feel embarrassed if we're doing the very best God wants us to do with what we have. We need to remember that. If God has given you a job that merits to you $100 a week, 10 of that belongs to God. And if God enables you to save 10 out of that, what you have left over and live on $80. You put 10 in the bank and then that begins to grow and grow and grow and you decide, well, I'm gonna share more of that with the work of the Lord. God will bless you for that. God will be no man's better. I just believe that. He gives every one of us the grace to make what comes to us. He gives us the strength. He gives us the diligence. He opens the doors and so on. Well, I didn't mean to get tied down there with that one. That's one passage. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. And let's look at this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning of verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have made, been made to drink of the same uh, into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, 
I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body? Now look at over verse, verse 29, chapter 12, verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? What's the obvious answer to that question? No, that, those are rhetorical questions. They're not answered here, but the obvious answer is no. Now, everybody doesn't have those same gifts. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And then he begins to talk about love as the more excellent way. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 a moment. These are the various places, some of the places where the various gifts are mentioned. So in verse, chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning verse 11, he gave some apostles. Now remember, Barnabas was not an apostle. <coughs> One of the greatest disciples of the New Testament. The Bible says of Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and much people were added to the Lord. But he wasn't an apostle. Timothy was not an apostle. There were many in the New Testament who were not apostles. He gave some apostles. Did that mean those who were not apostles should be jealous of those who are apostles? A thousand times no. God has set these in the church. Now, in, as far as the apostles are concerned, there are churches today who feel that that gift is continued and so they set aside certain men in their church to be apostles. Uh, they use that term and so on. In, I believe that that term, that the need of the apostles passed away with the apostolic age. We don't have apostles today. But from place to place, we have somebody that God puts his hand on just as if he were an apostle, like Paul. Paul had no credentials to be an apostle, but he said, God appeared to me, Jesus appeared to me as a one born out of due season. I'm the least of the apostles. He classified himself as an apostle, even though he wasn't one. And yet we think today of the apostle Paul, because the scripture confirmed and conferred that title upon him because of his ministry. I've known of certain people today who seem to be apostles of the love of God. They had a very unusual ministry, very unusual touch of God. I've known of some in the church who are apostles of encouragement. They just encourage you to be around them is an encouragement. Some apostles. And then he said, some are prophets. There were prophets in the New Testament period. I believe there are prophets today. But the church doesn't designate these people as prophets. The scripture says that the church has two functional offices, pastor and deacons. We don't have a day when we come and say, well, we're gonna elect some apostles today. Or we're gonna elect some prophets today. We don't do that. Those 
are individuals that the Holy Spirit seems to put his hand on and people perceive that God has his hand on this person and he has the gift of a prophet. I think Billy Graham is such a man today and there are others. And then there are some evangelists. Now for a long time, Baptists had a hard time with this. A lot of Baptist churches never used an evangelist. Now I believe in revival meetings. It's good from time to time to have an evangelist. It's good from time to time to have a pastor come. You see, God uses pastors as evangelists. But he also seems to put his hand on certain men and say, I want you to be a special evangel, an evangelist. And God has gifted them in this way. Now, J. Harold Smith was a pastor for many years, but he also seemed to have the gift of an evangelist, and he spent years and years now in evangelism. Dr. Clyde Gordon was a pastor for many, many years. In 1966, he felt called to be an evangelist. He was already an evangelist. He never went anywhere to any church that would limit the number of revivals he could have. And through the years, God has used that man to win thousands and thousands to Christ. I can remember the five meetings we had with him as the evangelist in this church. And every time there were people that were saved. When uh, I was on the committee at Camp Joy, not just for the Bible conference, but in the RA weeks and the other things, over and over again, we'd ask Brother Gordon to come and be the camp pastor. And you could expect him to be the evangelist. I was amused sometimes when some mother would call and say, well, now my son or daughter is going to come to camp, but I don't want you to pressure him to be saved. <laughs> what do you mean pressure him to be saved? Give him, don't give him an opportunity to be saved? If an evangelist is preaching and heralding the word of God and God's spirit speaks to that boy or girl, what do you expect us to do? Say, stay in your seat. Let's get some seat belts and tie them in there so you don't get up and come because we're scared that somebody will misunderstand. Listen, the best time to be saved is when you're young. And God gave that man the gift of an evangelist. There are others that have that gift. Does that mean that the rest of us don't have to win souls? Of course not. Does that mean that somebody maybe has the gift of soul winning? So we're gonna say, well, he'll do the soul winning for the church. The rest of us can just cook pies and mop floors. A thousand times, no. Every one of us is called to witness and to tell others about Jesus. And we ought not to ever be jealous or fail to recognize that God does give a special gift to certain people. That's from the Lord. He gives gift to gift of evangelists. And some pastors and teachers, pastors and teachers. Now those two terms are joined together. There doesn't seem to be a comma after pastors. It isn't as if God is saying he gives the gift of, to some to be a pastor and others to be a teacher. He says the pastor is a teacher. And one of the qualifications for a pastor in Timothy is that he's apt to teach. There must be a teaching ministry as well as a preaching ministry 
as the man of God declares the Word of God. What we often do on Wednesday night is the teaching of the Word of God. In our Sunday school, in teaching, sometimes in training union, teaching, but in the worship services and in revival meetings, the Word of God is preached and heralded. And this is extremely important. But remember that Jesus gives that gift of pastor, teacher. And then he says, here's the reason for it. For the work of the, for the perfecting of the saints, so, you, so the saints will grow, so they get mature in the Lord. Word perfect, perfect doesn't mean sinless, it means mature. For the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so the body of Christ can be edified and grow in the Lord till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and so on, carried about by every little cult and every wind of doctrine that blows. If the pastor teacher will preach the word and teach the word and preach the word and teach the word and if people will come and listen, there's no need to be blown about with all the winds of doctrines that are among us today and all the cults. And the purpose for these gifts is that we not be wishy-washy and gullible and never know where we stand doctrinally. Baptists ought to know why they're Baptists. We're studying that in Trinity Union right now. Now, that, isn't some, that doesn't mean that Baptists have an edge on the truth so that nobody else is ever right about anything. That doesn't mean that. It certainly doesn't mean that Baptists are the only one going to heaven. Please understand that. But if you're going to be a member of Christ's body, you want to understand what that body believes and what the New Testament teaches about certain doctrines. And it's the responsibility of the pastor teacher to help people understand that. And we study that over and over again. And, and the reason for it all is that we come in the unity of the faith. Now, a lot of people don't understand, and, and I'm going a little bit over time, but this is very important, listen to me. A lot of people don't understand why when someone comes from a non-Baptist church or a church that does not teach and believe what the New Testament teaches and believes and what we understand it to believe, even though they have been immersed somewhere else, that the local Baptist body asks them to be baptized. They don't understand. They say, well, I've been baptized. We come right here to, to one of the reasons for this. Number one, so that we can all come with oneness of mind. In a Baptist church, everybody comes in the same way. We either come in on profession of our faith following Jesus and baptism or a letter of recommendation from another church that believes and practices what we believe and practice. And, and that letter indicates that they have been baptized by that church into, the, into that local body of Christ. And we recognize that church as believing what we believe and practice. Now I wanna tell you folks, that doctrine is being diminished greatly today. Right. It's fading away. And it's possible. We had, a, we had a family that would have joined our church. They were coming from another denomination. 
But they learned they had to be baptized. They said, well, we're going to go over to another Baptist church that doesn't ask us to do that. That is called alien immersion or alien baptism. And if you fill the church with that, after a while, there will not be the unity of faith. We will not all believe alike. Some will come in one way and some will come in another. And we no longer would say that we all come into a Baptist church the same way. Now, if you want to ask further questions about that, we can discuss it further in training union. But these are important truths. One of the reasons is that we all come into the unity of the faith, that we grow up in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the pressure, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we not be tossed to and fro with all kinds of doctrines and winds and slight of men and so on, cunning craftiness, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making, making, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now we'll have to discuss that at another time. That's a big, big verse there. And we'll talk about it another time. But this has been an important study, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Let's stand and have a word of prayer together. <clears throat> Let's bow together in prayer. And just before we pray, would you just pray, Lord, help us to continue as a body of Christ that we might all be unified in the faith in the confidence of what the Word of God teaches and that we would believe alike, there would be like-mindedness among us in these wonderful truths. And then would you pray that God will put an urgency on our heart to win the lost, to go after the lost. That is the thing that's the dearest of the heart of God, that God would enable us to go out and bring the unsaved to Jesus. Our Father, we pray tonight that the Spirit of God would move across our heartstrings and give us a joy in knowing there are certain confident beliefs that the Scripture teaches that we as Baptists believe and we can practice them. And we pray Thou wilt help us to grow in the unity of the faith. And then give us that urgency to see people saved. God grant that, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.